Now, so far, we've deconstructed religion, how to read the Bible, what the gospel is, why Jesus had to die, and even redefine what it means for a church to win. Well, I guess a good way to end this series is by deconstructing how a Christian ought to live. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't drink. Alcoholic beverages, they never appeal to me. But you can imagine that when I go out with my friends and they notice that I order Diet Coke instead of a beer, they ask me if it has anything to do with the fact that I'm a Christian. The reason I don't drink is because number one, I don't like the taste of alcohol, and number two, I had a bad experience with it when I was younger. But maybe you've been in a similar situation as me. Like, because your friends know that you're a Christian, they expect you to abstain from certain things or they expect you to be more moral than them. And I could tell you why they think that about us, at least in part. It's because they believe that Christianity is about following a bunch of restrictive rules that's found in the Bible. Like, they're absolutely sure that there's at least a dozen verses in the Bible about not using bad words or watching rated R movies, right? All right, but... I guess what I'm saying is that I know there is an expectation on Christians to act a certain way in society. And that expectation is true to a certain extent, but it's not because a bunch of rules were in the Old Testament. So today we want to deconstruct the question, how is a Christian supposed to behave and why do we have to behave that way? Now, okay, for some of you who grew up in the church, you might be thinking, hey, Kotz, I know how I'm supposed to behave. I learned in my youth group a few decades ago. I mean, hey, don't you remember? Oh, I know they're not that hip anymore today, but back in my day, there was these bracelets called the WWJD. What would Jesus do? Now, these bracelets were supposed to be reminders for us to look at Jesus' example whenever we're stuck in a decision. Like, for example, if someone hits you on the cheek and you want to hit him back, you're supposed to look at your WWJD bracelet and say, oh yeah, Jesus turned the other cheek, so should I. And that's good and all, but there is one problem. The problem is that Jesus was able to do more than we can ever do. Like for example, let's just say you're on a fishing trip and you're in the middle of a lake and then a big storm comes. Now at that point, if you ask the question, what would Jesus do? It would result in you scolding the waves around you until they calm down. Or if you're trying to find a quick way to the other side of the lake, walking on water probably isn't an option for you. You know, I'm just saying. So the question still stands, how is a Christian supposed to behave? Especially when you can't look at the rules found in the Old Testament and you can't look at Jesus' example because in some situations, it's actually limiting. So what is the guide for Christian behavior? So today, we're going to cut to the chase and I'm going to give you the answer up front. But because this answer is given to us by a theologian, which sometimes confuses all of us, we'll spend the rest of our time explaining what that answer means. Okay, so here's the answer by Dr. Gordon Fee. The fundamental framework for all of Paul's theologizing, especially for salvation in Christ, is an eschatological understanding of present existence as both already and not yet. Okay, did you catch that? It's okay if you didn't. Here, Dr. Fee is talking about the idea of salvation in Christ. Basically, when you read through the scriptures, it teaches that Jesus quote-unquote saved us. But the question is, how does that actually work? In this quote, he says, before I get to answering that question, we have to first understand the concept of already and not yet. Okay, so if you're lost, let's start from the beginning. Let's start with an ancient Jewish understanding of timelines. 
You see, the biblical authors, they believed in a linear timeline. They believed that there's a beginning and then there's an end. And from the third page of the Bible, we know that we live in a broken world. And in each book of the Bible, we see examples of God reaching down to us, teaching us how to repair the world around us, like caring for widows, orphans, the poor, the foreigners. You see, in every culture that the Bible outlines for us, there's always a bar of behavior. We expect people to act a certain way. But every time God reaches out to a society, he often calls his people to a higher bar of behavior. So, for example, the Old Testament has laws on how to treat slaves. Now, you may be thinking that the Bible is bad because it teaches you how to treat slaves. I mean, slavery is bad, right? So, why is God giving his people instructions on how to treat slaves while what he should be doing is outlawing the entire practice. Now, while God would love to ban slavery, if God outlaws slavery overnight, the civilization could fold. It's like if God told us to stop using cars today, our entire civilization would crumble overnight. So instead, God nudges his people to treat slaves better than the society did at that time. And once the society around his people catches up to that new bar, God calls him to an even higher plane. And so each command on how to treat slaves restores dignity in the oppressed people. Now, over time, God's people began thinking, if God keeps nudging us to do better and better and better, we'll eventually arrive at a world where everyone is treated with respect. And if God keeps pushing humanity in that direction for other areas of society, wouldn't this world eventually become perfect? Like, this world would no longer be broken. So looking at this timeline, the Jews believed that this old and broken world had an expiration date. One day, this world will end and then there'll be a new and perfect one to replace it. Now, this new era has many names in the Bible, but for today, we'll just call it the age to come. Now, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll discover that prophets began saying that this age and the age to come was separated by a special event, specifically the arrival of the Messiah. Like he'll one day, he'll basically show up and declare that all things are new. But something weird happened. You see, because the Messiah was supposed to show up at the end of this age, but instead, as the Bible will teach us, Jesus showed up in the middle of this age. And when he came, he also brought with them the age to come. So now we have this overlap. When early Christians like Paul the Apostle were asked, hey, are we living in the age to come? They would answer, yeah, uh, we're living in it right now. We're already here, but not yet. You see, Paul will answer already because the age to come has already begun. Technically, we're living in it right now. When Jesus came, the new era began. But the answer is also not yet, because the old world is still here. The age to come is not fully here yet. They're basically sharing space. So Dr. Fee says, in order for you to understand what salvation is, you have to understand this concept of already and not yet. He says, with the resurrection of Christ and the gift of the promised Holy Spirit, God has already set the future exorably in motion. Thus, salvation is already. He's saying that when Jesus rose from the grave, he jump-started the age to come. But the consummation of salvation awaits the now second coming of Christ, the day of Christ, Paul calls it. The salvation has not yet been fully realized. So he's pointing out that the age to come is here, but it's not fully here. The fully here thing is going to happen when Jesus comes at the end of this age, the official end of this age. And Christians, we call that the second coming of Christ. So why is it important for us to understand the concept of already and not yet? That present existence is therefore altogether determined by this reality. That is, one's life in the present is not conditioned or determined by present exigencies, but by the singular reality that God's people belong to the future that has already come present. And that is the key. But what does that mean? 
He means this. If you are a Christian, God is transforming you from the inside out and he is making you into citizens of the age to come. So in a way, God's making us into people who feel right at home in the world to come, but we're still living here. Okay, so this is cool. So God is making us into people who live out the realities of the age to come, but we live it out here in this broken down world. So in a way, you can say that we are ambassadors from the future. Fee continues by saying, marked by Christ's death and resurrection and identified as God's people by the gift of the Spirit, they live the life of the future in the present, determined by its values and perspective, no matter what their present circumstances. So, as Christians, we already know where the world is headed. This world will one day be heaven on earth. There will be no more slaves. All people will be treated as equals. There will be no more tears, no more segregation, no more wars. Every single person will have an intimate relationship with God. And there will be shalom. And this gives us the answer on how Christians ought to behave. You see the guide for our morality, our behavior? It's our future ideals that Jesus created for us. Like, if you believe that all people will be loved in the age to come, then, as a Christian, you're supposed to be living that out now. Love all the people around you. If you believe that there are no more enemies in the future, then today, in this broken world, we must treat everybody as allies. See, if you believe that in the age to come, that every tribe, every language, every nation, they're all going to get along, then you have to treat people the same way today. So let's answer it again, okay, the question, how is a Christian supposed to behave? Christians are supposed to live out their future hope here. You see, we don't behave a certain way because there's some rules in the Bible that tells us to live a certain way. We behave the way we do because we are transporting the future goodness into today's brokenness. And this is so much better because this doesn't just stop at behavior or morality. Like for example, if you believe that in the age to come is filled with God's presence, it's where we can see the work of God as clear as day, then in today's world, wherever we go today, we help others see how God is working in their lives today. If you believe that in God's future, every single human being is treated with dignity, then today we go to those who had their dignity taken away from them and let them know that they have worth. You see, Christians, we're supposed to be visiting people in prison we're supposed to be feeding the homeless. We're supposed to clothe the naked, adopt the orphans. Because when heaven is on earth, everyone's past sins are washed away. Everyone has a home. Everyone is protected. And everyone belongs to God's family. So going back to that first example of when somebody asked me why I don't drink. You see, if you abstain from drinking, it shouldn't be because there's a rule about it in the Bible. No, rather, some of you shouldn't drink because it hinders you from participating in bringing more heaven on earth. But for others, perhaps you choose to drink with your friends because... They are alone and they need a friend to hang out with. Now, last week, Lori talked about the church's obsession with winning. If someone hurts or violates you, the way to win is by getting the last word in. Perhaps for you, that means getting revenge. But according to Jesus, the church does not win by getting the last word or getting revenge. Because in the age to come, there's no such thing as revenge. There is no last word. No, instead, there's love, unity, forgiveness, grace, mercy, all the good stuff. See, Christians are people of the age to come who is bringing a bit of heaven here on earth. So for the past few weeks, we've been deconstructing a lot of things about our faith. And I hope that after deconstructing them, we were able to reconstruct it into something healthier. And I believe that if Christians took the time to deconstruct and reconstruct their faith into something healthier, a lot more people will be clamoring to get into the church. So, May God continue to transform you from the inside out 
and make you more of a person of the age to come. And may you spread that ideal, that gospel, that good news to those around you as you navigate through the tensions of the already and the not yet. And may you experience heaven together. God bless.